We are going to have um, a reading. I'm going to read actually for us. Uh, if you would like to follow along, then um, do we have any spare Bibles, uh, Kath, or maybe not? Maybe not. Oh, she's going to grab some. Look at that. If you need a Bible, pop your hand up in the air and Kath will grab you on and bring it over. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and verses 22 to 23. So just a short reading. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 33. Great, here we go. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Let me pray as we uh, come to think about this subject together. Heavenly Father, we are thinking about such weighty topics this morning. Lord, we may have different views and different opinions. We pray that you would help us to have humble hearts before you and before your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you, the creator of life, would be the one who shapes the way we think about life and death. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, as we uh, begin thinking about assisted suicide, I, I just want to recognize that this talk is, is going to be hard for people. I think it's going to be hard for different reasons. It's hard because we're, we're going to have to think about our own deaths. You know, I've been a, a Christian for, for at least 25 years, and if I'm honest, I've still not come to terms with the idea of death and dying. It's a real comfort to, to listen to the things that Mark was saying a few moments ago, but it still frightens me. I still have these kind of lingering doubts bubbling away. I have to confront our own death. That is a hard thing to do. I find this hard as well because there are people I know, friends I know, for whom the question of ending their life prematurely is a real one. They are suffering now and their life will only get harder. And talking with them, I can see why from their perspective, sometimes assisted suicide looks like a good option. This isn't just a a theological discussion about ideas. This is about life and death in the real world for real people. That makes it hard. 
And I found this hard because it feels like, yet again, we as Christians are on the wrong side of the argument. The mood of public opinion seems to be swinging more and more in favor of assisted suicide. And the thing is, it's tiring, isn't it, always to be against the flow. And yet here we are again. But I've also experienced something else this week as I've thought about it, and that is hope. Yes, this is hard, but as I've contemplated my own mortality again this week, I've genuinely felt the hope that faith in Christ can bring us and enable us to bring others who are going through some of the darkest experiences that you could imagine. It's hard, but there is hope. Okay, let's think about these, these ideas. First of all, let's think about assisted suicide is not dying well. Assisted suicide is not dying well. Now, as we start, let me just make sure we know what we mean by assisted suicide. Mark gave us a really helpful definition. It is when one person helps another person to end their own life prematurely. Now, at the moment, that practice is illegal in the UK, although just this week, the government um, on the island of Jersey has seemingly paved the way to make it legal in the future. So there's movement there. And there is increasing pressure on the UK government to follow suit. A number of opinion polls, they say, suggest that people are more and more in favor of a change. There are a growing number of celebrities um, and academics and even some medical professionals who are pushing for a change in the law. The author, Terry Pratchett, who was himself diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's in 2007 and has since died, he was a vocal supporter of assisted suicide. He perhaps summed it up in the most succinct way. He said, I believe passionately that any individual should have the right to choose, as far as it is possible, the time and the conditions of their death. And I think it's time we learned to be as good at dying as we are at living. Now, when you read that and when you hear it, it, it seems kind of reasonable on the surface, doesn't it? To allow someone to choose the point of their death so as to avoid unnecessary suffering or degrading treatment, that should be a human right. It would, in his words, allow someone to die well, to have a good death. And those advocating assisted suicide do make some good points. It's right that terminally ill patients are consulted about the treatment they receive, about when to stop treatment, and instead to focus on how to make them as comfortable as they can be, readying them for their death. They are right to talk about some sense of the patient having some control over their death. But as we've heard from Mark, palliative care is doing an outstanding job of providing that already. And so as Christians, we can't support the legalization of assisted suicide. And I want to give you three reasons. There are lots of reasons I could give you, but here are three reasons why I don't think we should be supporting this move. First of all, it's dangerous. Now, proponents of assisted suicide will point to a number of safeguards that they will say will restrict the practice to a very few specific people with very specific circumstances. They always want to say, look, the system cannot be abused. We'll put some really strong safeguards in place. 
in every country that has passed an assisted suicide law, initially there were very strict conditions that had to be met before someone was helped to die, that they must be over a certain age, so no children. They must have a terminal illness with no hope of recovery. They must be of sound mind and a few other things as well. But nearly all of those countries, those safeguards have slipped or been redefined. In countries like the Netherlands and Belgium, where assisted suicide has been legal for several years, you, you see those safeguards being watered down. There, there really is what um, people would call a slippery slope, that once you open the door, it gets pushed open wider and wider. So in Belgium, there is no age limit now. So, so all kinds of, of people can request assisted suicide for all kinds of reasons, including a prisoner in 2014 who was serving life for, for rape and murder. He was able to access uh, the, the assisted suicide. In a research paper by Andrew Errington, he summed it up like this. You'll see that on the screen. The original focus of Dutch euthanasia advocates was on the agonal suffering of the dying. It has gradually expanded to embrace the grieving mother, the healthy grandmother losing her sight, minors or children, the psychiatrically ill, the unemployed autistic person, and the alcoholic. See how widely it is spread. You might begin with very tight restrictions as to who can assess, access assisted suicide, but the evidence is that those restrictions are quickly eased. And that alone, I think, is very dangerous. But even more concerning is the pressure it puts on the most vulnerable in our society. Now, of course, no one is being forced to terminate their life. But as soon as assisted suicide becomes an option, then you have to consider it, don't you? And that puts pressure on those who are most vulnerable. Some who don't want to be a financial or physical burden on friends or family might feel, it may not be the family saying, look, you, know, you really should think about this, but, but internally, psychologically, that question is going to go through their mind, isn't it? Should I just do the right thing and end my life early? If assisted suicide was illegal, then they would never have felt that pressure. The question would never have entered their mind. Now, now maybe you could say, look, okay, that, that might be true for, for, for some people, but there are many who have thought it through and would like to end their life for their sake. Shouldn't we make assisted suicide legal so that at least they can escape the pain and the suffering they, that they so desperately want to? But as Christians, you know, as I think human beings, we must protect the most vulnerable. You might have it on your, your, your handouts, I think, but Proverbs 31, verse 8, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Or Psalm 82, verse 3. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. 
It's a constant call in the Bible to protect the most vulnerable. If the legalizing of assisted suicide led to even just one person ending their life early because they felt some internal pressure to do so, then the whole thing would be a tragedy and we would have failed as a nation. Assisted suicide is not dying well because it is so dangerous, particularly for the most vulnerable. Secondly, it's dehumanizing. And one of, um, I think Mark mentioned this, one of the arguments of those who are pro-assisted suicide is that we should have autonomy over our lives and especially over our deaths. To, To be human is to be able to choose not only how we live, but how we die. That is a fundamental right of humanity. That's what they say. That's what it means to be human, to have autonomy over not only our lives, but our deaths as well. But I don't think that's true. To be human is not to be autonomous. It is to be dependent. We can't make those kind of decisions without other people. From the very beginning of our lives, that is how the Lord has designed us to be, dependent. My existence depended on my parents conceiving me. My birth was dependent on my mother bringing me into the world. My upbringing was dependent on my parents caring for me, feeding me, teaching me. Even now I'm dependent. I need the wisdom and help and support of those around me, friends and and family and, and society more generally. To be human is not to be autonomous, it is to be dependent on others. And part of that dependence means we meet each other's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, I think again it's on your sheets. Paul writes, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so fulfilling the law of Christ is essentially this is what it means to be human. Carry one another's burdens and you will fulfill what it means to be a human being. We were made to be dependent on each other and therefore to meet one another's needs, to carry one another's burdens. The the, the pro-assisted suicide lobby will often say that helping someone who is terminally ill to end their life is the most loving and compassionate thing you can do. But surely... The most compassionate thing to do is to care for a person through their darkest moments, making whatever sacrifice you need to make to bring them as much comfort and help so that they know that they are deeply valued and loved. A few weeks back, I shared a quote from the writer Giles Fraser. Uh, And when I did, I I hadn't really thought that we were going to be doing this talk, but it's so fitting that I'm going to share it with you again. It's a bit more extended than what we looked at last time, but it captures well what I'm saying. It should be on screen. He says, I do want to be a burden on my loved ones, just as I want them to be a burden on me. It's called looking after each other. Obviously, I know people are terrified of the indignity of dying and of being ill generally, having someone clean up our mess, put up with our incoherent ramblings and mood swings is a threat to our cherished sense of personal autonomy. But he goes on, my existence is fundamentally bound up with yours. Of course I will clean you up. Of course I will hold your hand in the long hours of the night. Shut up about being a burden. I love you. This is what it means to love you. 
Surely there is something extraordinarily beautiful about all of this. See, assisted suicide is dehumanizing. It undermines a key aspect of what it means to be human, which is to be dependent on others and to carry one another's burdens. So it's dangerous, it's dehumanizing, and finally, another D, it is disobedient. Now, it's not a very attractive point title, is it? I kind of think I had to kind of crowbar that in with the, with the, the, the Ds, but, but disobedient. I want to say that because as Christians, we want to hear what God's will is for us on this issue. And we said that those advocating assisted suicide argue that we should have control over our bodies, control over when we die. And as, like I've said, there is some sympathy that we should be able to have some say on those things. But for the Christian, the Bible is clear, we are not our own. This idea of personal autonomy isn't the case because fundamentally we belong to God. We belong to God because of creation. He made us, he brought us into existence. And we belong to God because of salvation. If we trust in Christ, he redeemed us, made us his own. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, and again, I think it's on your sheets, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. In the end, it is God who gets to decide what we do or what we don't do with our bodies. He created us. He gave up his son for us. Now that has implications for all kinds of ethical decisions, doesn't it? But in the case of assisted suicide, does the Lord permit us to take our own lives? And the answer is no. Now, there are a number of occasions in the Bible where someone does take their life or gets the help of another person to take their life for them. And it is never honorable. It is never held up as a model to follow. And there are other occasions when believers like Job and Jeremiah and, and, and Elijah are, are filled with dark thoughts and they effectively say, Lord, take away my life. And the Lord never permits them to end their lives. Instead, he gives them reasons to keep going. Now, we could say so much more about what the Bible has to say on, on why assisted suicide isn't right. But it is important to be clear on this um, that the Bible is, does, the Lord does say to us, you do not have the permission to take your own life. But it's also important to say this, it isn't the unforgivable sin. This act of taking your own life does not cut someone off from the Lord. His mercy is great, especially towards the broken-hearted believer who can't see any other way out. Now we could say so much more about that as well. But please bear that in mind too. This is not the unforgivable sin. So assisted suicide then is dangerous, it is dehumanizing, it is disobedient. And as Mark shared with us, some of the alternatives for those facing uncertainty and pain, and the pain of drawn out suffering, there are some wonderful alternatives. Palliative care is a great resource and asset, something that we should be more aware of and supportive of. 
But palliative care does so much of what those who are for assisted suicide want. It can take away the pain. As Mark said, it can bring control and comfort and dignity. Now, we thought about assisted suicide as being not dying well. Let's think about, from a Christian perspective, what dying well looks like. So dying well the Christian way. This week, someone um, pointed out to me a line from an American author, Philip Roth. Um, in one of his novel, novels, he, he writes this, it'll be on the screen. In every calm and reasonable person, there is hidden a second person, scared witless about death. That there are those people, aren't there, who, who seem to be very relaxed about death. I, I, think, I don't think I'm one of them. I'm more like the person Philip Roth describes. And so in these last few moments, what I want us to do is to think about how we can prepare for our death whenever and however it might come. And do so in such a way that we can die well rather than being scared witless. Now first, in order to do that, I think we need to come to terms with what death is. The most obvious thing to say about death is that it is our enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, Paul says, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is our enemy. It does not belong in this world. It isn't, as some people say, natural. Death entered the world when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. So death is our enemy, and that means we're absolutely right to rage against it. The instinct of the medics to fight and battle, to keep someone alive, that is a good instinct. When someone faces a, a, a terminal diagnosis, often they will say, I'm going to fight this. And to some extent, that's the right response. As the poet Dylan Thomas said, we should rage against the dying of the light. Rage against it. Death is an enemy and an intruder. It is right that we fight it. But death is also a mercy. Now I realize that sounds odd. But let me explain. Back in Genesis 3, right at the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, or humanity, has just turned against God. They have sought life and hope outside of God. And in response, God brings death into the world. Listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. He must not be allowed to live forever. Why is it that God stops humanity living forever? Well, partly it is God's judgment. If we reject the offer of life, then in the end we lose life. But it's also God's mercy. Because if you read Genesis 3, then you'll know that in the preceding verses, the Lord has outlined what life will be like outside of his life-giving presence. There will be conflict. There will be disappointment, there will be back-breaking work, there will be pain. Our bodies will decay and fall apart. 
After Genesis 3, our bodies are broken, the world that we live in is broken. To live forever in that kind of existence isn't a blessing, it is a curse. Death is God's way of bringing the struggle, the pain, the brokenness that we experience to an end so that we don't live forever with decaying bodies in a decaying world. C.S. Lewis, who um, I think we have to quote him every other week. I don't know, some kind of commission thing or whatever. But anyway, C.S. Lewis called death a severe mercy. That captures it. For the Christian, death is a mercy. It is a severe mercy. It is a painful mercy. It is in some ways a scary mercy. But it is the doorway that we must go through so that we can leave this broken existence and be brought into a world of wholeness and fullness. William Cooper, um, I think in the 18th century, uh, was a a poet among other things, but a Christian who had many struggles with with dark thoughts. On a number of occasions, he tried to take his life. And after one attempt, he wrote a poem called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Let me just read, I think it's the second verse, it'll be on the screen. He says, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Death looks like a dark cloud, doesn't it? It looks menacing and frightening, but for the believer that dark cloud is filled with mercy. It brings our cursed existence to an end, And it is the start of life forever without the brokenness and the struggle and the tears. Death is a severe mercy. So while on the one hand it is right that we rage against death, while it's good that the instinct of medicine is to battle against death, there comes a point, and Mark was talking about this, when it is also right that we accept that death is inevitable. And we allow people to die comfortably without unnecessary intervention. For the believer, death is a severe mercy. Death is an enemy, death is a mercy, and finally, death is a servant. In one of the most powerful parts of the New Testament, Paul writes this, it will be on the screen, Romans 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we've, we've thought about these verses before at some point, but, but you see what Paul is doing here? He looks at death, whether by persecution or famine or exposure or sword, and he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul looks at death and says, we we are conquerors of death through Jesus Christ. And that is the wonderful Christian truth. Death is not the end for us. Christ rose and we will rise with him. But Paul doesn't say we are just conquerors, does he? You know, to to conquer something is to remove it. You conquer a nation and it's, it's gone. It's no longer a threat. But in Romans 8, Paul says we are more than conquerors. 
We more than conquer death. How do you more than conquer something? What does that mean? Well, I think you more than conquer something when you don't just defeat it, but it then becomes your servant. It serves you for your good and the good of others. See, in Jesus, we are more than conquerors over death. Death and and, and a slow death becomes a servant for God's people. I have a friend, as I mentioned earlier on, whose body is deteriorating and, and has been for a number of years. He is a believer, but he has sometimes asked me, why won't the Lord just take me now? Why must I face this slow death? I think he first said that to me seven or eight years ago, and I said, look, I don't know. And and I still don't know for sure. I mean, I don't know the mind of the Lord. But on Friday when I saw him, I was able to say this to him. My friendship with him over those last seven or eight years has changed me. I am a better pastor. I'm a better friend. I'm a better Christian because I've been able to spend time with him in his struggles over these last seven or eight years. See how sickness and even terminal illness can be a servant of God's people. Through Christ, we more than conquer death. It becomes our servant. And I think if we understand death, then we can begin to think about how we can die well. It is an enemy, so yes, we rage against it. It's a right response. It is also a mercy, a severe mercy, so we don't fear it. And it is a servant. It is used by Christ to change us and grow us in our love for him and our love for others. Death is an enemy, a mercy, and a servant. But very, very briefly, I don't want to end there. I don't want to end on death. I want to end with Christ. Jesus is our saviour. I read earlier on from Luke chapter 2 about the infant Jesus in the temple and a prophet called Simeon. He is so overjoyed to see the infant Jesus because he knows who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. If you've got your Bibles open, you can look it up. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 2. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is God's salvation, God's rescue for a humanity under the curse of Satan's sin and death. And Simeon has seen God's salvation in Jesus. And so what does he say? You may now dismiss your servant in peace. He is ready to die. Because he knows death isn't the end. He knows that Jesus, the saviour of the world, will bring him through death. He knows there is a future that shines more brightly than even the brightest moment he had in his life. He knows the deepest longings of his heart are about to be fulfilled on the other side of death. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. Brothers and sisters, may that be our prayer as we approach death. We have seen the Lord's salvation. We have encountered and believed in Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear and everything to look forward to. 
As I finish, I want to read to you some words from Samuel Rutherford, pastor in the 17th century. And as he was dying, he wrote uh, a poem, a prayer. I'm just going to read you a little bit from it. Soon shall the cup of glory wash down earth's bitterest woes. Soon shall the desert briar break into Eden's rose. The curse shall change to blessing in Emmanuel's land. Moment of quiet, I'm going to pray. The curse shall change to blessing in Emmanuel's land. Lord, you may dismiss your servant in peace, for I have seen your salvation. Heavenly Father, let's put aside to one side assisted suicide for a moment. We pray for our own hearts. Grant us the assurance of faith that when we face our own deaths, we don't need to face them with fear, but with hope. We have nothing to fear, but everything to look forward to. Lord, please grant us that blessing of assurance. But we do care so much for those around us, whether believers or not. Help us to live out our humanity by caring in all the ways that we must for those who are struggling through the last moments of their life. We pray for Mark and we pray for others in palliative care. We pray for their wisdom, their compassion. We pray they would be able to relieve many from the pain that they are experiencing. And we pray that our government would continue to hold the line on this one for the sake of the most vulnerable in our society. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to finish by singing that song once again, Christ is our hope and our salvation. Please um, do stand as, uh, as the music starts.